Hey, it's Pat Park, your host for another episode of Offset Time Out. Thanks for being along. All you need to know about our special guest is that this person was a teacher coach for 37 years, 34 at the high school level. Peter Morris had a remarkable career in the secondary school system in Toronto. He made a lasting impact in all circles of school sport during tenures at St. Michael's College, Neil McNeil Catholic High School, and Father John Redmond Catholic Secondary School. OFSA was fortunate to have Peter quickly transition into his role as an OFSA part-time staff member in 1998. Up until his retirement in 2019, he managed OFSA cross-country, track and field, boys hockey, football, alpine skiing, and snowboarding. It's probably not a stretch to say he's likely the best known and most highly regarded person in high school school sports in the province. Dedicated, friendly, level-headed, genuine, and as you will hear over the next 40 minutes or so, incredibly humble are the words that best describe our guest, Peter Morris. Welcome, Peter. I've been looking forward to this interview for a while now. Well, thank you. I, I, so have I. It's, uh, this is exciting. How have you been doing during this uh, very, very bizarre COVID-19 era? Well, I'm trying to, trying to remain positive. It's, it's, uh, it's a very difficult time when you can't see your family, but uh, there have been a lot of fun times. We've got some very, very good neighbors that we socialize with distance-wise, and um, so it's been really, really good. Um, I try to walk every day and make sure there's some variety in what we do, but uh, uh, I would be lying if I said I miss, I miss a lot of things. I certainly miss what we do in high school, and, um, but uh, it is what it is. Certainly the nice weather makes it a little bit easier. Yeah, thank goodness the weather's turned for the better, and we can get outdoors just a little bit in our backyards and front driveways and such. Yes. Okay, Peter, we're going to get right into it with the nitty-gritty right here. Which baseball team is going to win the World Series first, my Detroit Tigers or your Toronto Blue Jays? No doubt, Toronto Blue Jays. <laughs> Spoken like a true hometown fan. <laughs> now, don't ask me about the Leafs, though, okay, because we're not really sure. <laughs> yeah, well, with the Tigers, unfortunately, we're uh, – two years away from being two years away again. So we're, <laughs> we're hanging in there. Now you grew up in Leaside here in Toronto. What was a young Peter Morris, do, Peter Morris doing athletically during his teenage years? Well, you know, we were really lucky that in Leaside, um, Leaside had a really strong community with respect to uh, baseball and, uh, and hockey. I mean, there was just basically one ballpark, which was Talbot Park, and one arena, which was Leaside Arena. And um, it not only was a place that we competed, but it was also a place, places that we socialized with. And of course, in the wintertime, uh, it was a treat to go to the arena and play because you practiced outdoors. And so again, the outdoor rinks that were at a place called Trace Mains and at Talbot Park, um, that's where you just went for pleasure skating and met your date and, uh, and stuff like that. So we were very, very involved um, in sports. And Lisa, now, again, it was really restricted. I mean, there, there really wasn't anything else. Um, there, was a, there was tennis at the tennis courts, but it, it was kind of restricted to, to people who could afford it. Um, but other than that, that's, that's what I saw. My, my, uh, teenage years were basically at the park and at the rink and uh and uh, competing and um just having a great time and the parents were involved too right very much both my uh both my parents were involved more in a in a in an insistent way so um my dad was um was was involved with the organization of the baseball um he was the founder of the the midget tournament um he, he did some coaching, um, but it was basically a support. My mother worked with a group of ladies that uh, ran the hot dog booth. And uh, every so often, I love to go back into Talbot Park. It's a long drive from where I live, but, you know, as soon as you get to the park, you want to go to the booth because you remember those hot dogs that were boiled. And, uh, and, uh, but there, there was a great collection of, of ladies that were involved. In fact, that uh, one of the awesome people um, who taught at East York, Don Hibbert, um, he, his mother was a very good friends with my mom, and they worked together in the booth 
as we call it, the booth lady. So, so yeah, so that's, that's basically what it is. I went to Dell LaSalle in high school when I was a teenager. So again, things shifted to Dell where, you know, during the, during the week, that's, that's where I played and competed and, and stuff like that. And I believe I read in the bulletin a couple of years ago, you were a goalie of some note and also a catcher in baseball. What, what was the attraction to being the backstop? Well, I think, I, I really think that, um, and I, I really don't know where I got this from Pat, but, uh, I was a goalie in hockey for one reason only was that I got to play every minute. Yeah. I was a catcher in baseball because you were the center of, of the action. You kind of, not that you were in control of it, but you, you, you just weren't out there catching lazy pop flies. Sure. Every, every pitch you were involved in that process. So I'm not sure where I got that, the, the, the catching, but, um, uh, that's basically where it was. And I mean, I caught all my life that I, when I played baseball, I was a goalie my entire life with one exception. When I, I finished playing, when I was in my fifties, I kind of went back out with, with a group of guys that I played with at St. Mike's. Okay. And um, it was interesting. Somebody passed me the puck and I went over center ice and I stopped and somebody said to me, what the hell are you doing? And I said, I realized that I'd never been over center ice. <laughs> okay. And then later on, I went to the bench and sat down. And then I realized that I had never been on the bench in a hockey game, except if I was pulled. Yeah. Yeah. And then I saw some guy go down and deke the goalie out. And I realized then that nobody really cared what happened when the guy went in and scored. Whereas me as the goalie would, would get upset if I let a fluke in or something, but they didn't care on the bench. So it was, it was an eye opener. I'm sure you were the rock of the team back there in between the pipes. Like offsa really wasn't a thing in those years, right? I mean, it, it was, it, it had started, it was in its beginnings. And um, uh, certainly it was for me because it was probably a real turning point for me with respect to education was that uh, in my last year, I went to Leaside High and, and after our championships in the TIAA, uh, our coach said, we're, we're going to the provincial championships. And he mentioned the word offsa, which I had never heard before. And uh, we, we went to Alliston and um, that's where the tournament was. And surprisingly, what was different in those days from now is that we were billeted. Oh, wow. So we got into the gym at, at um, I think, I think it was Banty. I'm not sure what the high school and, and Allison's called, but anyhow, we were in the gym and families were there and they call out our name and, and these people came up to us and they were our billets and, and off we went. And I still remember that family. I still remember that name. They, they treated us royally and, and we actually won the gold medal and they threw a little uh, celebration party for us before we left to go home. So also was, it was just on its, on its beginnings in those days this was 1964 yeah in those days i think you look at at the notes they're only they're only men representatives i'm not sure whether women have been invited into the inner circle and if they were they <laughs> diana used to always tell me they used to stand at the back diana, but, uh, yeah. yeah but in those days too there was eight eight representatives at the, that championship, not what we have currently today. But yeah, I mean, it certainly was different in those days and it was, but that was the beginning. That was the, the growing pains. And you had to come up with a, a goalie mask because that uh, was a requirement <laughs> of the offset championship, right? It was scary. Um, and, and the only reason the goalie mask came in was the fact that uh, it was all of a sudden was being required at the arenas. It wasn't something that Offset had come up with. It was the fact that the arena that we played in required it. And, and the, basically the first mask that I had was, was like a catcher's mask, like one of those softball masks. Yeah. And, and I really had difficulty because all I did was look like I was seeing double. That's not good when you're playing goalie. Oh, I, but I was focusing on these wires that came down my face. Uh, and then the first goalie mask that I ever got a kid down the street made for me out of styrofoam and the, the, the eye holes were huge so that I could see right out. If I ever got hit there, 
I'd be probably killed <laughs> because there was there was nothing there to to, to uh, you know take away the vibrations of a shot. But you know, I never never lost a tooth, Pat, in my entire playing career, and I never had an injury. And um, so I was very very fortunate. Well, the record books show that it was a six-five overtime win, a real defensive struggle. Yeah, and I and I and I remember it well. Um, I have a, a one of the guys that, that played on that team was a very very good friend of mine. We reconnected about five or six years ago, and he actually was the guy that scored the winning goal in overtime. And and I thought I was the only guy that remembered things like that, but he remembered it better than I did. And unfortunately, he passed away last year. But it was something that we we could share and. Um, it was it was a great memory, and it was a warm night. Uh, the place was was jammed because uh, the host team had been in the bronze medal game um, just uh, just prior to ours, so the ice was kind of crappy. Um, but it was it was just a, a great thrill. I can go to that rink today. I did did once about ten years ago, and and actually it was been converted into a lacrosse rink. And uh, I actually knew where the dressing room was and I knew exactly where I had sat. And so I went there and sat and, and just, it all came back. That's awesome. It all came back. I knew what end of the ice I was in at the time the goal was scored and I could still, see. and ironically enough, it was the year that uh, Bobby Bond scored his overtime goal with a broken leg. Yeah. Against the Red Wings, Terry Sotchuk. Against the Red Wings. So it, uh, it's a lot of great memories of, about that, and, and, and it's particularly yeah. the guys that I played with. Like, it just, uh, it was a special group of guys. It was the, I was finally able to finally go to school with the guys that I, all, I grew up with. I had always gone to the Catholic school in Leaside, and, and they had all pretty well had gone to the public, to three public schools. They went to Leaside High, I went to Dell. So this year, I finally was able to go to school and, and play with these guys that, uh, uh, that I hadn't played with, except for some teams that we play with in baseball or hockey and in, in, in the community. So it was it was just a great thrill. And you still keep in touch with a couple of them, probably. Yes. Yeah. 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 It's, uh, it's it's always good to to chat, and um, for me, anyhow, I, I hope it's the same with them. Okay, we're going to move to your coaching career. You, what was your first coaching assignment, and how old were you at that point? Well, it's very really interesting. Um, uh, I really didn't coach, uh, I think maybe because I was traveling to get to school. And so I didn't start coaching until I was, um, I got into um, teaching. I may have, I may have helped out somewhere in baseball or hockey, but I, I to be honest, I don't remember. So yeah. uh, my first school, I started in elementary school and um, I started in grade six. And uh, we were really fortunate. There were only about 12 teachers on staff at that time. And to have one male on the staff was a real luxury. We had three. And uh, we also had the, 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 the advantage that we had a good number of the female staff that were also really keen on sports. So the first sport that I actually coached at St. Kevin's was indoor track. Uh, I taught grade six and... Um, Still remember fondly taking these kids uh, down to the Fort York Armories where they had uh, the lanes painted on the on the hard hard concrete floor. Yeah. And you know, I had forgotten about that until a couple of years ago. And and some of the kids that uh, that I had taught in in that first year, you never forget your first class, had invited me out for dinner, and um, I had I had been with them before. But when I got there, they had a surprise for me, and it was a girl that had, had run track for me uh, who was a doctor in Alberta, and she had come in not knowing what this surprise was all about. And interesting enough, all she talked about, know, the only thing she talked about, she talked a lot about those trips down to, to Fort York Armory. So it mm -hmm. kind of reinforced for me why we coach, yeah. because we never know when there's going to be an influence. We just don't know that something we provide kids with is going to motivate them. And she had never forgotten that. She was very successful in what she did. She still, she said she still ran. Oh, and, uh, and I always, it was always a joke. Cause I could say, so say that was 
say two years ago, I said, so Nancy, have you turned 65 yet? And she just kind of looked at me and I said, because you guys were just 10 years younger than I was when I started teaching. So, um, yeah. So in those days, so in those days I went to teacher's college right at a grade 13. And so I was teaching when I was 20 years old. And so, uh, it, uh, so you were pretty young, pretty young when you started. I certainly looked young too. So, um, did you always know that you would get into coaching though? Like when you were winding down your high school career, did you kind of think that I, this is something I want to do once I move into the workforce? Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, and I, I, I knew from the time I was about 10 years old that I wanted to teach and um, I love school. It's maybe scary to say something like that, but I actually love school. I don't remember having a downtime in my education. Um, my dad built me a little uh, podium. And so when I studied for exams, I, I stood in front as if I was teaching. That was the way I studied. And uh, when you studied, you were standing at a podium. I, he made me a little podium that I stood in my room. And so I imagine I was teaching in front of a class and that's how I studied. So I would ask myself the questions and, and oh, go from that's there. Novel. That's novel. Yeah. That kind of a common thing back in those days. No, no. It was just, that was just me. I just to say, I just, uh, I, I loved it. I, I pictured myself as a teacher on many occasions, not when I just studied. I, I used to look at, at the teachers I had who had a great influence on me and just saying, trying to pick out those things that I really liked about them. And, um, well, that's very practical and, uh, yeah, out, outside of the box thinking. By yep. you. Yeah. So I, I said, I was, I was pretty, uh, pretty discouraged. I had been in a religious order for a year where we didn't have any grade 13 subjects. And so when I came out, uh, I went back to Del Cell and, and I had never failed a subject in my life and I didn't get the credits. In those days, we wrote those provincial exams. So um, I went back to Leaside and uh, finished it off. And, and then I didn't get accepted into U of T and phys ed, which is what I wanted. So I was pretty discouraged at the time. And I had a really good friend at the time who sat me down. He'd been my friend since since we were knee-high to a grasshopper, and he said to me, Peter, you have always wanted to be a teacher. So why don't you basically take a summer course, register in teacher's college, and then you'll be starting to teach next year. You'll be making some money, and you'll retire before I did. Best advice you ever received. Yeah, yeah. So surprisingly, many years later, we, we got together, and he, he said, the thing is that you have retired, but I'm still working, and it's been more than four years. So, is that right? So, just don't uh, tell them you're playing golf every day when we get back to playing golf. Yes. Yeah. Well. Um, well, that was that was really how I started. Was as I say started in elementary, and and obviously when I uh, when I went to St. Mike's with my first teaching assignment, which was an athletic school, everything kind of opened up. I've heard that you mentioned a individual by the name of Dalt MacArthur. Is that his name? Yes, Dalt. He was a big influence with you. He was a he was he, Dalt was a huge influence on me. He was probably one of three people that influenced me greatly. Dalt uh, was an NHL referee. Um, didn't leave on the best of terms, but uh, he uh, he certainly coached me baseball for six years, and um, he taught me a great deal more about life than about the game of baseball I, I can remember that I was a pretty competitive chippy little guy from time to time and and uh, there was a game that we played and and there was a parent behind the screen who got on my case obviously knew how to rattle the cage and I called time and I won't repeat what he said to me but I went and, went and picked up a bat in the dugout Yep. There's a little five foot two guy going to go after some adult with a bat and Dalt grabbed me and, and took me up on the side of the hill. And he said, Peter, you just lost. You just lost. And he asked me what, what I thought that meant. And I didn't really know. And he says, you responded to him and forgot about what you were supposed to be doing. And how old were you at that time? I was probably uh, 14. Yeah. Okay. And so it was, it, 
and then, then I got to the point where I just wanted to pick his brains and watched him. And, uh, and so he was basically the kind of guy that said, Hey, look at your five foot, this, you've got a lot going for you. Use the skills that you have been given to the best of your ability. And I never forgot that as a player. And I certainly never forgot that as a coach. You know, that was my first message to any of the athletes that I coached is use the gifts that you've been given to the best of your ability. And that's all anybody can ask and have fun. Yeah. So he really, Dalt really had a, an influence on me. And um, I think we, he coached me from Peewee through to Midget. And then when I went to junior, I had a whole different coach and I had trouble adjusting to that coach um, just because it was different. It was a different, different person to listen to. Yeah. You always took the approach about giving back. Where did that come from? Well, I think that's that certainly comes from my Leaside days. That uh, interesting enough that, um, as I said earlier, that that Talbot Park was was a social hub as well as a competitive hub. So, if you weren't playing or if you weren't practicing, you were there watching. And so we had our heroes. Um, who played obviously at the at the junior level, and so um, they were our heroes. So so people like uh, Ron Taylor, who went on and played for the Cardinals, uh, Bill, Bill Kennedy, who Bill Kennedy, yeah, Bill Kennedy, who played for the for the Rangers and passed away. What we saw was that a lot of these guys were coming back and coaching at the lower levels, and and I thought that was pretty neat. I see. Not only did we get a chance to watch them play, but we actually got to see them actually coaching. Um, I don't think, in the as I say, in the six years that I played, that we had any of those guys. But our, our I played for St. Anselm's, which was our our church sponsor, and none of the guys were. There's only three of us that were Catholic. The rest of them were were all different uh, denominations. But but um, some of our lower teams that were below us had uh, had these guys that played for Metropolitan Motors that, that coached them. And it was all I could get out of that was something I'd like to do, give it back, give something back to these, to the kids that we had. And so that, that meant a lot to me. And so we got, I got it honestly. I, I didn't, for example, some people, if you, if you lived in Scarborough, there were so many different parks that kids played at that, that you didn't kind of get that idea of, of oneness that we had in Leaside. And uh, so I think we were very fortunate to see that. And, and you know, I, I think, you know, there's a lot of people that, that uh, served in different capacities that were giving back. One guy that I'm sure you know, Pat, that's, that's been doing it for 60 years, I think it is now, is Howie Burney. Howie Burney is... is, yeah, is He's Mr. Leeside. Uh, he started when we were kids. Um, he coached, but he basically has run Leeside baseball ever since then. Okay. And so he's a legend. Yeah, they've and, always had a strong program there. Yep. And, you know, I mean, you take a look at another guy that was significant to us was Roger Nielsen. Oh, for sure. Roger Nielsen, you know, they, he, they played out of uh, North Toronto, but they played in the Leeside League. And so... There was Roger who was coaching the Peterborough Peets, but in the summertime he was uh, he was coaching baseball at the team that they had, and he was engaged with all the kids all the time. He had a paper route of, of course, it's been embellished many times. I'm not sure how many papers he had, but it, it's probably up to a thousand now. And uh, he had people like Dick Todd and delivering those papers for him in the morning. You oh, know? is that right? Yeah. So yeah. That, that was a great story of those those guys that. They have some great memories with Roger, you know, because he, he got them engaged in other things as well. You had to watch out for the tricks of the trade from Roger in baseball. Absolutely. Same, same way uh, he had those in hockey. He was always looking for that advantage that was yeah. untapped almost. And yeah, then, we, were, we were part of it, not personally part of, but uh, I think I was in Bantam at the time. He was coaching at Midget, and it was the famous potato trick. Oh, no. And uh, you, you can't do it today, but anyhow, he got to tell the listeners this one. Take all the time you need. <laughs> so anyhow, he came out to the mound and he and he brought the catcher out and he handed the catcher a peeled potato. <laughs> and uh, I can't remember who was pitching, but he told the pitcher when he threw, "Don't let go of the ball. Bring it right through. Follow through and put it in your glove." And yeah. the guy from third base 
he'll just come, oh, oh, I know. And then the catcher was to throw it to second and throw it right out into center field. And so the potato into center field? Yeah, throw the potato into center field. So he threw the potato into center field, and the guy at third base saunters into home plate, and there's the catcher with the ball. And uh, I'll tell you, I think my dad was involved in the executive at that time. I, I would love to have been in that room to hear, hear the scenarios that, that went on. But uh, that's cool. no, you're right. I mean, he, that's where we, that was the first trick that was up Roger's sleeve. So nothing surprised me after that with, with Roger, you know. And uh, The hidden potato trick. The hidden potato trick. Yeah. So now what attributes in your view make a successful teacher coach? Um, Not everybody's great at it, I'm assuming, but uh, in your view, what would you say? Well, I think I, I'm going to start with a, with a story insofar as that I, I think for any, any per young coach that's coaching who, who basically wonders, you know, why do I do this? You know, why am I giving up my family time, et cetera, et cetera. Well, I, all I can relate to is give it 20 years, you know, and, and you're at a mall or you're at a, at a theater, or you're at a restaurant and one of your former athletes comes up to you and you can't get them away from you because all they want to do is to talk about their time they had with you as a coach. And, and you might even find out, in that conversation or certainly from a feeling with that person that you might've had a little bit of an influence on where they're at. And so that to me is, is it's not a characteristic, but that's where you're going to see the reality of it. I think that um, there's no question that for me that we need to be aware as coaches that many of the athletes that we coach are influenced by us. Certainly, they're influenced by their teachers as well. It doesn't it's not, there's really no difference? Yep, no doubt. And and that there's and that's why I think Pat that we have a lot of a lot of former athletes who have gone into the teaching profession, whether it be at the, at the elementary level, the high school level, or post secondary level. It's because of that influence that they've they've received from from either teachers or coaches. Um, I think for me that that if you're going to be successful, you're going to have to be passionate about teaching and your are coaching. I mean, some of these characteristics are the same. Secondly, you got to love sport. I don't think I would coach if I didn't love sport. Yeah. Um, and it's interesting that, that I had a couple of kids that, that were not athletes at all. When I taught at Neil McNeil, one in particular that, that didn't, didn't play at all, but he had such a love for sport. He just wanted to be involved. And so he became our statistician. He became our manager. And he wrote the articles for the news, newspaper, for our, our newsletter, whatever we call it back in those yeah. days. And, and, and he was so valuable. And, and the kids, the athletes bought into it. They treated him with respect. And so, so you have to have a love, in my opinion, you have to have a love for sport. Yeah, certainly, certainly in this day and age, that's uh, with with everything that's around us. I, I think you've got to be prepared to make a commitment. Um, I mean, it's it's so demanding. If 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 people looked at just all the forms that you're responsible responsible for, um, if you really look at the liability that we face as coaches today, all these things might discourage you from coaching. But you, you, if you're going to do it, you've got to make a commitment. Uh, you, you don't bail out when, when your team is 0-12. Yeah. You know, you see it through to the end uh, because there's a lot more than, than winning. Um, I think if you're going to be successful, that you have to have a need to, be, to get better. You have to want to learn more about what you're doing. You have to learn more about coaching and all aspects of co coaching, not just the skills, but the, the motivation and, and whatever. Today, I, I think for me, it's, it's just – being able to tap into all the technology that's out there, all the resources that are out there that, that can help you get better. Nope. Um, I think you want to be a good coach. If you want to be a good coach, I firmly believe that you need to find good coaching. So I know as a phys ed teacher that if I was teaching a unit, I'm going to say basketball, and I wanted to, to try to make sure that my lessons in phys ed were better, I went to the, I went to the best coach in my 
school and sat down with him and said, hey, I need you to give me some drills, some strategies that I can use in my phys ed class. And I, don't try to do it all by yourself. Yes. So I know that, so I know that in track uh, in the East End, there, there was, there's Neil McNeil, Birchmount Park, and John Vanier were all strong track schools. So they did something pretty neat. They had all their practices together at Birchmount. And Bill Stevens, who, who is a distance guy and stuff like that, he took all of those kids from the three schools. One other guy who was strong in the hurdles took all the hurdle kids from the three schools. And, and he just kind of said, that's great as a coach. I don't have to worry about my ego. I've left it at the door. Let them get trained by Bill or trained by Steve Masterson or trained by Al Bajan. Let them, let them go. And I think a lot of those kids really said, that's great too. Okay. That, that I, we see that our coaches wanting us to get the best possible coaching we can. So that's, that would be my last thing is that if you want to be a good coach, you need to watch good coaching. Okay. Now, when we come out of this pandemic and uh, uh, sports return, we certainly hope that uh, we're going to see passion come out from teachers to get involved with coaching and to resume, resume their coaching careers at school. If you had just a word of advice for a, a teacher coach that might be hesitant about getting back on board or signing up to coach, what would you say to that person? Um, I wouldn't try to, I wouldn't try to do too much different. I just, you want to recognize the fact that, Hey, look, we've been through a lot. Um, I mean, I could be the guidance counselor and say, look, you need to sit down and find out why they're hesitant and all that stuff. But if you know that they're, they're hesitant, then, you know, I, I just think I would try to emphasize to them to think about the fact that there's so many positive benefits about coaching that, that they would miss if they, if they didn't. I, I would just emphasize the, the positivity. I mean, there's no question, Pat, for me that, that, that coaching complements the day. It's fulfilling. So yeah. if you go home, and, and you've got responsibility, that's one thing. But by staying out for that extra hour and a half or two hours, it just kind of completes your day. It's, to me, it's, it's so fulfilling. I, I mean, I found teaching from nine until three or whatever it was very fulfilling. But geez, you know, that extra two hours just capped it off for me anyhow. Um, I think I would say to a, a, a teacher, especially a young teacher, I said, you know, the kids see you in a certain light. When you're in the classroom, trust me, when you get out on the field, they see you differently. Mm. Now, now you're not the teacher, you're their coach, you know, and, and it's very likely that, that maybe one of those athletes has got some issues and, and because you're their coach, uh, they will come up and, and say, can I talk to you? You know, and, and you'll have a, again, an opportunity to make a difference that you wouldn't have if you're in your car going home. Yeah, for sure. Um, I, I always tried to encourage when I was an athletic director at the schools I did, I always sat with my principal and vice principal, encouraged them to get involved in coaching because I thought, you know, you sit at your, your desk and you do all these things all day long. And I said, you know, it would be really great. The kids would love it to see you come out and, and coach. You didn't have to be a head coach. Yeah. You could just be an assistant coach or just maybe when their games, you're all, always there and, and, uh, and again, you'll see that it's a positive influence on yourself. That's an interesting take. That's good. And I, I think that to a young person, as I keep emphasizing, is that, you know, every day as a teacher, we have a, one of the greatest things about our profession is that we can make a difference. Every day, every minute, you have an opportunity to make a difference. And I think in coaching, the same thing applies. And just like I said earlier, earlier you never know when you're when that moment is going to take place it could be the very fact that kid comes up to you and says uh, uh sir or ma'am can i talk to you for a minute and the last thing in the world you say is come back and see me in, in a half an hour i'm busy mm -hmm. talk to them and you mm -hmm. never know just how much time it took that kid to come and talk to you yeah so 
after school coaching still gives you that opportunity to, to make a difference. Um, that was one of the points I was going to bring up to you. you. You probably liked the drama and found it stimulating, whether it was the actual games and practices or dealing with issues with students. Yeah, I don't know whether I ever thought. And that's an interesting point. I never thought about it as drama, but uh, yeah, well, you know, the ups and downs of coaching I, and a team, oh, and, and a team getting through their schedule. Yeah, there are there are uh, lots of those, you know, and it uh, it gets frustrating. Of course, kids are don't understand why they're not playing and uh, where you're not giving them enough ice time or time on the field. Why you're not throwing the ball to them in football. Yeah, uh, and so you're having to deal with all those issues all the time, and um, uh, but I think the kids at the end of the day, you know, when they get to be our age, they they remember just the good times. Um, I, I I think the only downside is that I feel awful if I turn somebody off. You know, that you never find out. So I, I you know I, I hope that there isn't someone out there that says, well, that Morris guy, he was a real. Yeah jerk you know and uh well, that, 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 would case. Like, that was a needle in a haystack probably if, you, if that yeah. person felt that way i think the last thing i would say you know teaching teaching today pat is really stressful i i, I applaud teachers today you know that uh especially after all of this with the virtual learning and and uh, i i talk to my colleagues who teach phys ed and see how stressed and frustrated they are at least when they come out of this that athletics and coaching is going to provide them with a lot of fun. Uh, I, I really believe that when it's over, that there'll be a lot of people who are going to want to coach. I hope I'm right. Just the same as I hope that there's a lot of students that, that are going to want to play and are itching to get out in the field or in the gym and, and get involved. So I, I'm hoping, hoping like anything that that's going to occur. You've kind of covered this, but my next question, true or false coaching makes you a better teacher? Well, it certainly made, it certainly made, I think it made me a better teacher. I think I had, um, coaching gave me an opportunity to, to know my students better um, than I, that I maybe wouldn't have understood if I just was a teacher. Um, you would just go through the motions as a teacher. And, I, and I'm not trying to paint every teacher the same way, Pat. Like there are a lot of really great teachers that just teach. And, and there's a lot of teachers that teach and they're in the music department or in the art department, do a lot of great things. And, um, but I certainly think for, for me personally that, uh, yeah, it, it really had made me a better teacher. I had a better understanding of kids, I think. Okay. Just in general, what does school sport do for schools? How important is that? Well, I think it's, it's really, really I think even more so now, I'm going to be really interested in seeing what it's like coming out of the pandemic. Um, I, I certainly remember, I think, don't get me wrong when I say this, I think they did a better job, schools did a better job in my time. Like, when there were big games. what way? Well, we had pep rallies. Yeah. You know, like, when there's big games, there was a pep rally and everybody came to the gym or came to the auditorium and and um, I'm going to throw some names out at you. Mike Wadsworth. Yeah. Uh, Mike Wadsworth uh, played at Dell when I was at Dell. Uh, went played to Notre Dame, football. didn't he? Went to Notre Dame, became the ambassador to Ireland. CFL announcer. Yeah, all that stuff. And um, he was kind of the leader. And, and at St. Of course, the rivalry between Dell Cell and St. Mike's was huge. So goalposts are annually painted by both sides <laughs> yeah. all kinds of all kinds of pranks on the on the fields were were then graffiti everything you can think of there was always a parade every year there was a parade it was either going to dell or it was going to saint mike's and and that just the school spirit was was phenomenal i still remember that at, at um at saint mike's when they had their pep rally they had a um a guy that played for for Dell named Peter Lamantia and Peter Lamantia um, used to be the goal judge at the Leaf games. But Peter was one of those kind of irritating players that would just get in your face all the time. And Wadsworth would always tell the story of how Bill Hartley, who was the, 
the big leader at St. Mike's would invite him to the pep rallies at St. Mike's and Wadsworth would have Hartley come to the ones at Dell. Yeah. And at St. Mike's, they, they hung, they hung Peter Lamantia in effigy right on, right on the stage, you know, and, and it was, and, and it was just, and it was a good, it was good spirit and a lot of good fun. It was hardcore stuff. And, and that's, those are the kinds of things like the, 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 the rallies that we used to have. And then, but today I think that it's, although it, schools try to do a lot, I just think that it's, it's, it was, it's not the same. I think individual schools do different things to try to, to motivate it. I mean, if you, you know, you, you take a look at the banners that hang in your, in your gyms, people spend a lot of time on their trophy cases. Uh, I know I go up to St. Marcellinus up the street here and they've got a, a board that goes from one end of the wall to the X, which has all their track and field records on it. And, and, and then they have pictures of athletes that have graduated uh, and if they've gone on to a university, they have their team picture from there with their uniform. If they went to the NHL or the yeah. NBA, they have that. And that develops a school spirit. So to me, it's, it's huge. It's huge. But I, I would say the same thing about if, if your school had, a, had a, um, a musical that they put on every year. That was always a rallying point around the school as well, that everybody wanted to go to it. Um, I, when I went to Dell, um, the guy who coached me hockey at Dell, uh, he was in charge of the stage crew uh, for the play. And we all, we all were his workers. Okay. A good number of us were all his workers. And we always loved it when it was Annie Get Your Gun and, and they'd have the crowd scene and we would just deliberately find a way to go across the stage, you know, <laughs> and, and blend, blend in with the crowd. But yeah. That's what I'm saying is that there's just not athletics, but everything that you have can build, can build school spirit. So to me, to me, your initial question was right on. I can just really for schools, uh, sport, sport plays a huge, huge role. And you know, the schools like in Toronto, we know the schools that, that have a reputation and, and, and you can just see it from what, what goes on in their schools. Yeah. They've got that foundation probably. Yeah. I know, I know in the good old years, back in the 80s and 90s, when, when track would just attract huge numbers, the days of event. Now, now we don't even have to get security because there are no fans. There are very few fans that show up at, at Centennial. But in the old days, the, the, the stadium would be packed. We'd have to have police there and, and stuff like that. And, and in that crowd were huge numbers from the top schools that, that were the spirit was really, really good. And so it's just, it really had an influence. Okay. Well, I've only got a couple more left for you, Peter. Uh, was there one rewarding coaching moment among thousands, I'm sure, that stands out with you? Could have been an individual accomplishment or a team championship that came out of nowhere? Anything? Yeah, I'm going to tell you a story that... It's not what you would expect. Um, I always, when I coached, coached cross country, encouraged anybody to come out and, and participate. And, you know, it, if anything, it was to try to motivate them to, to get interested in running. Um, and I didn't have to run a marathon, didn't have to run a 5K. And so uh, this one year I had this, this uh, athlete come out. And, um, and so, I, we started off by saying, okay, we're going to do this. And she said, I, I can't run. And I said, okay, well, let's try and do this. So she started and um, she made a commitment to it. I think she just wanted to be part of the team. And that's another aspect of yeah. part of the team. Yeah. And so we would go to invitationals. And if all I could get her to do or an athlete like that to do is to just to go to an invitational and get the experience of running with kids. Um, that's all I really wanted. If they had the ability, they could go on. So it wasn't until, it wasn't until she wrote an article in the school newspaper that I really, it, it made me sit down and really think about what I was doing. And she talked about being at Boyd Conservation Area. And she was in the middle of the race and, and Joanne never, never finished better than fifth last in any race that she went in. But she finished, which was the most important part. 
And she talks about, talks about this particular race and she was away up at the, in the woods yeah. and she came across a, another athlete from another school that had, was hurt. Oh. And she said, I had to make a decision. I had to make a decision whether to go on, keep going or whether to stop or help. And she said, didn't hesitate. I stopped and helped. And so of all the stories, that one stands yeah. out to me as to what it's all about. It's, That's tremendous. That's the human yeah. spirit right there at its best. And what's really interesting is that um, the young lady has passed away, but, but up, until, up until then, she was still running. Oh. And, and with her girlfriend, she was so proud of the fact that she was still running, and she'd actually been in a 5K run. Again, not to win, just to, for a charity. Yeah. And um, so it's it's uh, it's a story like that that stand that stands that stands out. That's a really touching story. Now, just a fun one. Did you ever idolize from afar any legendary coaches? I know you're a big sports fan, but you must have a <laughs> well a, a, a person that stood out for you that you idolized. Well, you know, it's, it's, um, you're going to laugh at this, but I think initially, you know, as you well know, that we didn't have TVs and, and when we were growing up, so everything was on the radio and you really didn't know a lot about a lot of teams. I mean, and all I knew were the New York Yankees and the Brooklyn Dodgers because they were the only ones you ever saw on TV. So if I had to say there was someone that I kind of idolized, it was Casey, Casey Stengel. Oh, sure. You know, the, you know, and, and of course, I love. I was a Yankee fan back in those days. I was a Yankee fan until George Steinbrenner came on the scene. But so Stengel was was always kind of a, a guy that I, I kind of he was like a hero. Um, there's no question. You know, you, you we've been soured a little bit by what we've heard with the, the general managers and the the owners in the NHL back in the the '60s and what they did to athletes. So. Uh, certainly I had a lot of admiration for punch, but I'm not, I'm not really sure if that still holds true, but I do have a hero. I really do have a hero in high school sport. Who's that? So I know that Doug will really get a laugh out of this. Doug Glatley, the executive director. Yep. Go I ahead. Doug will get a laugh out of it. It's a legend and he is a legend and it's the great Jim Murchie, the late Jim Murchie. Oh, Okay. And and uh, some stories. Some we're not allowed to talk about. But oh, what were you going to say? No, I, I mean Jim was just uh, Jim was one of those kind of people that that no matter where he went, people gravitated to him. And uh, I I still remember going to any and even after he had retired, he would he would go to every Offsa hockey championship, and I can remember going to the Sioux. And, and, and of course, or no, it was Sudbury. Sorry. It was in Sudbury. And, and basically we played the tournament in this huge arena, which is gone now. I think it was the old arena in, in Sudbury. And, and Jim was way up in the corner. And I guarantee you that 80% of the people that were in that arena within 20 minutes were sitting around him, listening to him tell stories. <laughs> and, uh, but he was, he was a legend in high school in high school coaching and um and kids would kids would go through a wall for him is he still with us or is no he... jim, jim uh, passed away jesus it's got to be 12 years ago jim had diabetes uh, he lived a, a different lifestyle than a lot of us he was alone and uh and that was said we still have a group of we call ourselves a dirty dozen that uh, get together once a month uh in honor of jim and and uh still tell stories it's amazing the stories but i i do remember just that uh just what a great coach he was what a great high school coach he was and uh, uh i wouldn't want to emulate him in a lot of things but uh but that was not having anything to do with his coaching he just uh, he was and he was a very successful athlete he was captain of the Marlies in the junior A. Um, he was uh, the captain of football at U of T. And you'd be, you'd be interested in this. He actually turned down a pro contract to play for the Leafs. He did? Uh, by Stafford Smythe. offered him, a, I think, a $3,000 <laughs> offer. 
offer to play for the Leafs, and he turned it down because he wanted to teach. Is that right, eh? Yeah. Yeah. So he was uh, – another great story about the merch that I can tell was that, uh, as you know, I'm a football official, and, and uh, we were doing a football game at York Memo. And, uh, and Jim was the timer of the games. And, of course, his, his phys ed class, he would have them, have them come out and, and uh, sit in the bleachers. And, of course, he had to take attendance. And so I was standing there getting ready for the game, and the kids were coming up, Mr. Murchie, and he checked this off. He didn't have an attendance sheet on his clipboard at all. <laughs> he would just play in the game. And, uh, and, and, and then there was another time he says, Morris, Morris. And he says, it's just, get over here. He says, let me get down behind you. The vice principal's out here looking for me. <laughs> so, but he was just so popular. So, so, so popular. So Sounds so, like a true character. Well, I've been looking forward to this chat for a long time, Peter. Uh, you've been a friend and mentor to so many people across the province over the years. On behalf of the entire OFSA community, we thank you for your years of coaching, convening, and volunteering. All of us here at OFSA miss the day-to-day -day involvement with you, and we wish you and Sharon all the best this summer and beyond. This has been really fun. Thanks, Pat, and have a great day. See ya. I really want to thank Peter Morris for taking time out of his uh, still very busy schedule nowadays. You should know that he's actively involved in Office's CIOS online coaching program. We really appreciate him devoting some time to stay involved with that. Peter called me the next day and uh, he said that he failed to really mention Father Redmond as being a big influence in his life. And he feels that he was probably the number one mentor as uh, he moved along in his career path and his, his younger years. As we wrap, I just wanted to mention that there are a couple of uh, deadlines coming up for the Colin Hood Award and the Brian Maxwell Memorial Scholarship. The deadline for both is June 1st. Please visit our website, if you don't mind, and let's uh, recognize some very worthy individuals as we conclude this school year. Thanks for listening. Stay safe, and we'll talk to you again next time on Offset Timeout. Out.